To James chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, James 1, 5 through 8, or a Bible app, or the church, the outline is on the church app. James, the book of James, chapter 1, the text, verses 5 through 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. Well, last Sunday we started this new series from the book of James, Faith in Action. Everyone say that. It's a very practical book that teaches us practical Christian living. It's more practical than, than doctrinal. It's putting our faith, what we believe, into practice, into action, how we live. It's putting feet to what we believe. It's, it's outward demonstration of inner faith. It's when the rubber meets the road. Now, you might remember last week's points. They were the rejoicing, the rejoicing in trials, the reality of trials, and the reason for trials. Now, let's look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 of James. And he writes, Because you know that the testing or proving of your faith develops perseverance or patience. Verse 4, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, that's teleos, mature, mature and complete, not lacking anything. So the reason for our trials is to rise us, listen now, to rise us to maturity, to, to fully develop us. And this is why we need to value our character more than our comfort. And this is not going to be easy. The process is not going to be easy. And, and this is why James writes what he writes in our text. And he tells us that wisdom is necessary in order for us to deal with our trials in the right manner, in the right way. So in verses 2 all the way through verse 4, James demonstrated that God uses trials to mature us, right? And now he explains the means given for our actions in trials. Well, what's the means? The means is, is wisdom. Say wisdom. So before we get into our first point, we must read the text in its context to understand it correctly, okay? And you see, we can ask God for wisdom in any matter of life, but in this context, in this context, it's asking God for the wisdom that you and I, that we need to persevere through our trials joyfully. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Our response is vital in times of trials. It is vitally important to lay down the proper response to our trials. Now, be honest, friends, okay? Our first response is to react. In the midst of our trials, our first response is to react. Why, God? Why, God? Right now is not a good time, God. And Lord, God, what did I do to deserve this trial? Question, when you're in a season of suffering and, and you can't explain why the trial makes no sense to you and you hurt, it's very painful. When the bottom falls out, what's your response? For some, it's worry. They worry in the midst of their trial. Some complain. Others panic. Some blame God in the midst of their trial. And others just isolate themselves. They isolate themselves. Now, if you're saved, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God is in control of your life? I'm not convinced. Do you believe that God is in control of your life? In Romans 8, 28, we all know this, right? And we know that's confidence, certainty, and we know 
that in all things, not some things, but in all things, good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, those things, all things, God. Say God. It's God. It's God. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. He's talking about believers. So since he's in control of your life, and since he works all things for the good, knowing that, knowing that, you ought to have the right response to your trials. In James, what he does, he shows us the right response in our text. Three points from the text today. If you're ready, say yes. Here we go. Pray in humility. Pray in humility. I love this. Let me ask you this. What's the first thing you pray for in the midst of a trial? God, deliver me from it instead of deliver me through it? What is it, friends? Does it get me out of this trial, Lord? Well, let's look at verse 5a. And James writes, if any of you lacks, if any of you lacks wisdom. So this connects with what James said at the end of verse 4, where he writes, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So it's God's intention that we as his children be lacking in nothing. You see, anyone to pray at all, anyone to pray at all, has to have humility. People who are not humble never pray. Okay? They're prideful. They're, they're, they're self-sufficient. And listen, the fact that, that I know, the fact that I know that I have a lack, a lack is humility. It's admitting that I lack something. It's admitting, friends, that I need something. And you see, trials have a way of humbling us in such a way that we learn to lean upon God. In Mark 135, write that down. It says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus, say Jesus. Come on, say Jesus. Got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus prayed. Why did Jesus pray? He prayed because he was dependent upon the Father. The disciples, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. To pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, in this prayer, Jesus teaches them reliance to depend on the Father. That whole Lord's prayer is about them relying on the Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As you read the rest of the prayer, it's about relying, depending on God. Dependence. Question, when was the last time, come on now, be, be honest. When was the last time you, you prayed? I mean, you really prayed. When was the last time you prayed? Perhaps one of the reasons God has allowed a trial in your life because he hasn't heard from you lately. Listen, don't, don't be too proud to say that you lack wisdom. Proverbs 11.2, I, I love this. Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility, with humility comes wisdom. We need to humble ourselves and admit that we need wisdom. In other words, we need to live our Christian lives with a sense of need. With a sense of need. 
In the midst of our trial, we need wisdom, and it all begins by what? Admitting, admitting that we lack it and come in total dependence and reliance upon God. Amen? So pray in humility. Number two is pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Now fill in the sub-point. Here we go. The source. The source of wisdom. Look at verse 5b. He should ask God. Who? Come on, who? Say it. God. Okay, he's the source of wisdom. The word ask simply means prayer, prayer. Listen, our trials should enhance our prayer lives. Now, I want you to notice that James is giving a command, okay? He should ask or let him ask. It's, it's a present act imperative. It's a command. And you see, God, in other words, what God is expecting us, he's expecting us to ask him. God is expecting us to seek him in prayer because he's the source. He, he's the right person. Uh, all wisdom centers in him. Write this down, Revelation 7.12. Revelation 7.12. Saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Write this down, Proverbs 2.6. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. Say wisdom. And from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 21, 30. Proverbs 21, 30. There is no wisdom, there is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against God. In other words, if any wisdom contradicts or goes against God, it's false wisdom. Only God's wisdom stands. So since God is a source of wisdom, okay, then what we need to do is what? Ask him for it. Ask him for it. Now, I want you to notice James doesn't say let him work for it, earn it, or buy it. He doesn't say that. Why? Because it's not for sale. It's a gift. He says just ask God. Now, most of you guys might know the story of Solomon in 1 Kings 3, 5-13. God asked Solomon that if he could have one gift, just one gift, what would it be? And Solomon said, wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. And God was pleased with his answer because of that God made him not only the richest man, okay, but the wisest man in the Bible. Now, if God were to grant you one request today, if God were to grant you one request, what would you ask for? What would it be? Think about it. What would it be? Pay my bills? Change my looks? Make me skinny? Make me rich? Give me a house? Make me younger? Give me an iPhone 11? An all-expense-paid vacation? Or would it be, or would it be, give me wisdom? And let's be honest, most of us lack wisdom during trials, don't we? In fact, in fact, we don't want wisdom. If we're honest, we don't want wisdom. We want knowledge. Knowledge says, why am I going through this trial, God? We're looking for the reason, knowledge. But even if God gave us a reason... That's not going to help us through the trial. 
We don't need a reason in the midst of a trial. We need, we need resources. A resource, God, resources, and part of those resources is wisdom. We need wisdom. Now get this. Knowing things without knowing how to apply those things practically does us no good. Information without application is hallucination. <laughs> Knowledge, information is not wisdom. And James, what he does in the text here, he makes it very clear that we need wisdom, not knowledge, not knowledge, but wisdom in order to face our trials in the correct way, the right manner. Listen, if, if you're grumbling, if you're grumbling in your trial, okay, if you're ready to give up, then that's a clear sign, listen now, that you're trying to go through the process apart from divine wisdom. Say wisdom. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say wisdom. So let's, let's focus on that right now, okay? Remember, James is not talking about knowledge. We, we settled that, right? He's not talking about knowledge. He's talking about wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge put into practice. It's seeing life from God's perspective. The Greek word for wisdom is Sophia. Sophia. It's used to describe the inner intuitive or inner understanding. And here in our text, it's where we in, in, instinctively, instinctively know what God wants. In the Old Testament, the main idea for wisdom was that of skill. It includes the skill of workers who made garments for the high priest and who were able to work with metal, with stone, work with wood. It also extends to those who are able to execute a battle plan, those uh, leading government, uh, and also those who assess difficult situations. It refers to those who speak prudently and use their time carefully. So by wisdom, James is talking about the skill, say skill, that enables us to live obediently and faithfully before God in the midst of trials. It's, it's the ability, got to get this now, the ability to find God's perfect will in the worst circumstances. We need wisdom, right? We need wisdom. It's the wealth of the wise. Proverbs 8.11 Proverbs 8, says this, For the value of wisdom is far above rubies, Nothing can be compared with it. Write this down, Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 18. Love this. Blessed or happy is the man who finds wisdom, a man who gains understanding. For she, speaking of wisdom, she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She, wisdom, is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her wisdom, right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her wisdom, her wisdom ways, her ways are pleasant ways. And all her paths, wisdom, paths are peace. She, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By the way, the word wisdom in the book of Proverbs is mentioned 125 times. It speaks about the practical, not theoretical, but the practical. In other words, how to live my life every day, okay, my everyday life, and how to make wise decisions. So, so three things, write this down, okay, three things, here we go. Wisdom is learned in the Word. Wisdom is learned in the Word. 
The more time we spend, the more time we steep ourselves in the Word, the more we have the capacity to act wisely in the midst of our trials. Now, i got to get this. God opens His wisdom to those who open His Word. God opens His wisdom to those who open His Word. Church, if you are not spending consistent time in the Word of God, you will not have the wisdom that you need when the trials come your way. And you see, we will only find divine perspective when we flood and immerse and steep ourselves in the Word where it permeates our lives. It's kind of like, you know, kind of like a tea bag in boiling water. The longer it steeps, the more its flavor permeates the water. But it's more, listen, it's more than just being permeated with the Word. We must do something with it. And that's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is more than knowledge. It's the right use, the right use of God's word. Alec Moyer said this. If we say about someone, he knows his Bible really well. So far, we have described a knowledgeable person. But if he also knows how to use his Bible to understand life and the world around him and to guide his conduct and the conduct of others in the maze of life's problems, then knowledge has passed over into wisdom. So friends, you can know the word from an academic standpoint and still not be wise. Wisdom, say wisdom applies the insights and the commands and directions of the word into life. So wisdom is learned in the word. Turn your outline over. Wisdom, and love this, is shaped by the Holy Spirit. Wisdom is shaped by the Holy Spirit. The ability to do this comes through the work of God's Holy Spirit shaping our understanding of the word. And I want to tell you, friends, God's Spirit constantly, constantly works in our lives to expose our thinking to the Word of God. And He does that to direct our thoughts toward truth and to help us know the mind of God in a given situation. So when you and I, when we pray for wisdom, we're asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, to give us insight into the Word and to expose a whole of our thought and life to Scripture. Got it? Wisdom is learned in the Word. Wisdom is shaped by the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Wisdom is exercised by discernment. Exercise by discernment. Wisdom is not something you hold on to. It's something that you and I use. Okay? Listen, as God's children, you got to get this. We are to put wisdom to good use in our daily lives. I'm going to say it again, okay? As God's children, we are to put wisdom, wisdom to good use in our daily lives. In other words, we are to discern the right actions in the midst of our trials so we don't waste the opportunity to see what God is teaching us, that we don't waste the opportunity to see what God is showing us in the midst of our trial. Warren Wiersbe awesome Bible teacher, Bible scholar, tells about one of his associates who was going through difficult trials. She had a stroke, and her husband had gone blind, and then he had, her husband had to be taken to the hospital where he would die. 
when Worsby, Worsby saw her, he assured her that he was praying for her. She startled him by asking, what are you asking God to do? He replied, I'm asking God to help you and strengthen you. I appreciate that, she said. But pray about one more thing. Pray that I will have the wisdom not to waste all of this. And what Wearsby did, Wearsby observed, she knew the meaning of what James wrote in our text. And that's the idea of the text. We need wisdom so that we don't waste what God is doing in our trials. Not why, God, rather what, God. Give me the wisdom, God, to know what you're doing. God, give me the wisdom to teach me in this trial. I don't want to waste all of this. I know there's a reason, so help me to see it, that it's for your glory and for my good. I don't want to waste it. Amen? Next up point is the supply of wisdom. Write that down, the supply of wisdom. We saw the source, now the supply of wisdom. Look at verse 5c. Who gives generously? Who gives what? In other words, his, his wisdom is not limited. Good place to say amen. It's not scarce, right? There's no danger of it running in short supply. And he will give to those who seek it liberally. It's given sincerely, it's given clearly, and it's given to us bountifully. There's no limit. There's no limit to the wisdom of God. And he is more than able to provide all that you and I that we need and will give it without measure if we sincerely desire to receive it. Now when you ask, and you and I when we ask, he will give it to you. You know why? Because by nature, he's a giving God. Amen? Listen, God is far more ready and willing to give you wisdom, then you are ready and willing to ask for it or receive it. And if you're saved, say amen. amen. God delights to give to his children. So don't blame God if you don't have wisdom. Don't blame him. Write this down. John 16, 24. Jesus says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Chapter 4 of James. We'll get into that later on in the series. Chapter 4, verse 2 says, You have not because what? You ask not. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Ask for wisdom. Ask. He is ready and willing to give it to you. Why is it that we don't ask him for wisdom, friends? We need to ask. In the midst of your trial, God, give me wisdom, Lord. I need wisdom in order, Lord Jesus, to handle this trial the right way. I need wisdom, Lord, in order to stick with the process. I need wisdom, Lord, to know what to do. Guide me, Lord, through this trial with your wisdom. But you gotta ask. You gotta ask. And some of you don't have it because you don't ask for it. Ask for wisdom. Now let's look at the text again. Who gives generously to all? Say to all. That's not referring to everyone in the world. Okay? Rather to every believer in Christ. Amen? Got it? The supply of wisdom. Notice the sympathy of wisdom. The sympathy of wisdom. Look at verse 5D. He writes, 
without finding fault or without reproach. Now, I don't know about you, but knowing that, this is comforting to me. It's a comforting thought, right? Comforting. God knows, why? Because God knows our weaknesses, doesn't he? Right? He knows our inabilities, right? And yet, we can come to him, listen now, in full measure that he will be sympathetic to our need. He gives wisdom without finding fault. He gives wisdom without reproach. That means God will not rail upon us. He will not reproach us, revile, or rebuke us. So we don't need to fear him responding with abusive words. He doesn't hold our past sins against us. The story of a grandmother celebrating her golden anniversary, and she once told the secret of her long and happy marriage. On my wedding day, I decided to make a list of 10 of my husband's faults. For the sake of our marriage, I would overlook them. A guest asked the woman what some of the faults she had chosen to overlook were. The grandmother replied, To tell you the truth, my dear, I never got around to listing them, but whenever my husband did something that made me really mad, I would say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. So James is simply saying that when we ask, God will not insult or reprimand us. He will not give to us begrudgingly or insulting us in the process. And you will never, never experience this kind of attitude from God. You will never, listen now, if you're saved, you will never hear God say, what, you again? What do you want? Okay, 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 I'll help you this time, but this is the last time. You'll never hear God say that. You'll never hear God say, can you do better this time? That's not God. He'll never turn us away. He will never turn away a sincere seeker. So, so, so what, what James is doing here is he's, he's lifting our thinking about God and how much God shows his generosity and kindness to his children. Amen? Notice, here we go, the surety, surety, surety of wisdom. Write that down. Look at verse 5D. And it will, that's the surety there, it will be given to him, right? That's what it says, right? Right? And it will be given to him. That's a good place to say amen. But, but, that's based on a condition. What's a condition? Well, this brings us to point number three is this. Pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. That surety only comes when we pray with confidence. Now, what I love about James is James not only tells us what to pray for, that's wisdom, but he also tells us how to pray, right? Look at verse 6a with me. But when he asks, we must what? Believe and not, come on, not what? Not doubt. The New King James Bible says, but let him ask in faith. So James is telling us as we pray to have faith, to believe, to trust God. Hebrews eleven six. you guys know this, right, friends? And without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must what? Believe. Believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So when we ask, 
We ask with confidence. We, we ask with faith. We, we ask with trust. We're trusting him that he's going to give us the wisdom to make the right choices, uh, the wisdom to, make the right, to, the, to do the right thing, right guidance in the midst of our trials. Faith, belief, trust that he hears us and that he honors his promises that he will answer us. We're believing, say believing, that he is faithful in his character and that he is trustworthy, friends, in what he promises to do in my life, in your life. So we're trusting him to do what we asked according, get this now, according to the perfections of not my will, but his will. I want you to write this down, 1 John 5, 14 through 15. It says this, this is the confidence. There's that word confidence. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we, if we ask anything according to his will, not my will, not your will, to his will, he what? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Listen, church, faith, trust, belief is abandonment to God. It's abandonment to God, abandonment to his purposes in our trials. It's, it's a simple, simple act of coming to God with a need in complete confidence that he and he alone, friends, will deal with it in a way that's best for you and I. It's, it's believing, it's, it's trust, it's, it's faith, trusting that his way, say his way, his way is best. And you know, Jesus displayed this at the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, where Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Love that. This woman was looking for a birthday card for her husband and found one that said, sweetheart, you're the answer to my prayers. And in the inside it said, you're not what I prayed for exactly, but apparently you're the answer. <laughs> my point is this. Sometimes we don't get exactly what we pray for, but we need to trust God. Amen? That what we receive is the answer. It's God's best for our situation. He knows best. Look at your neighbor and say, he knows best. James Adamson said this, I believe God will answer my prayer or in his higher wisdom have a good reason. Why not? Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Some of you might know this by heart. Wonderful portion of Scripture. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7, trust, there's a the word trust, there it is, in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, in all your ways, acknowledge he's God and I'm not. He's powerful. Amen? He's infinite. And he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Respect, revere him, and shun evil. So what's the lesson? Here's the lesson. Trusting leads to receiving. Trusting leads to receiving. When I trust him, when I have faith, when I believe, when I trust him fully, I know that I will receive something from him. 
He knows what's best for me. So have faith, trust in his perfect will for you. In your trials, don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. Look at verse 6b. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So he's talking about a person who's blown and tossed here and there. In other words, his prayer life is like a raging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Therefore, he becomes a victim, a victim of his circumstances and trials rather than a victor through them. What this is really describing, it really is a sign of spiritual immaturity. Now notice James then tells us the result of one who doubts. Verse 7, that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. Man, that's, that's deep. That's sobering, isn't it? What it's saying is prayers prayed in doubt will not be answered. And then James, what he does, he describes a doubter. Verse 8, he is a double-minded man. Unstable in all he does. Not some of the things he does, but what? In all he does. Double-minded means two-souled. In the Greek, two-souled is dipsukas. Dipsukas. In other words, he has one soul that believes and one soul that doesn't believe. One that says yes to God, the other that says no to God. It's, it's divided in interests. Someone who wants his or her own will and God's will at the same time. In other words, he or she is a walking civil war. Faith and disbelief are having a civil war. It's a continual battle, friends, of trusting God one minute and doubting God the next. The doubter, follow me now, is inconsistent, unstable, unsettled. He serves two belief systems facing both ways. It's a mind that isn't completely convinced that God's way is best. Remember Peter on the boat? And Jesus is walking on water, and Jesus tells Peter, come out. And Peter, he starts to walk on water. Doesn't he? And he's looking at Jesus. He's walking on water. But all of a sudden, he gets distracted by the waves. And he begins to take his focus off of Jesus and onto the waves. And it's at that moment that he begins to what? Why? Because he took his focus off Jesus and onto the waves and began to doubt. Follow me. The unstable man is uncertain in everything, in what he thinks, what he feels, and what he decides. Listen, if your heart and mind are divided, trials will tear you apart. And I've seen Christians whose hearts are divided and seen how the trials had torn them apart. And if your heart and mind is divided, you will never be able to count it all joy, you will never be able to stick with the process. You see, the cure for a doubtful mind is a wholehearted commitment to God's reliable, perfect will, perfect way. And that is, whatever his will is for my life, that's what I want. Not what I want, what he wants. Now, I want you to get this. When we trust God, trials work for us, not against us. Okay? In church, doubt, Brings instability, but faith, say faith, trust, believe in God brings about stability. 
I want you to write down these scriptures, okay? 1 Peter 5, 10, verse 1. And I'm going to read it to you. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while. He's talking to believers. So believers do suffer. After you have suffered for a little while, will himself, love this, will restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So friends, we need to be single-minded, single-souled. Write this down, Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your strength. Psalm 86.11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart. Unite my heart to fear your name. 1 Kings 18.21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. So with that being said, question, do you love God? Sincerely, listen now, do you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength? Do you have a united heart? Is God your God? And if he is, friends, then trust his wisdom. Trust his answer. Trust his will so that you can face your trials and go through the process in the right manner, in the right way. You're safe, say amen. God, listen now, God, I, I don't know what trial you're going through right now. Some of you I do, but some of you I don't. But in the midst of your trial, God is working in you creatively, constructively, and consistently. Don't focus on the reason. Okay, don't focus on trying to make sense of the trial. Don't even focus on the pain or the hurt. Focus on the fact that God's got something good for you, amen? In the midst of this, focus on his wisdom to guide you through it. Stick with it. And let wisdom guide you through the process. So as we wrap this up, in light of what we learned today through the text, question are you willing to accept whatever God generously provides in response to your prayers for wisdom? Think about that. Think about that. So let me ask you this. What if it means staying in a difficult marriage? What if it means staying in a frustrating job? What if it means accepting singleness for the rest of your life? What if it means living with a physical disability that will never go away? What if it means not able to have children? What if it means losing someone you love? Are you sure you want God's answer? I'm going to close with a poem entitled, I Asked For. I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me brawn and brain to work. I asked for courage, 
and God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for patience, and God placed me in situations where I was forced to wait. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted. I received everything I needed. My prayer has been answered. Let's all stand.